Good morning. Well, this is the third week of messages uh, from First Peter, and I was going to spend uh, five weeks going through each of the chapters. Uh, it's week three. I'm at the beginning of chapter two. So at this rate, I think we're going to spend the next year in First Peter. Um, what I have found is that these, uh, the words in First Peter are just so relevant. Uh, you know, you look at the world, read the newspaper, look at the news, look at what's going on in your lives, read Peter, connect it back and forth. It's just incredibly, remarkably relevant and encouraging and challenging. And even the parts that we have difficulty relating to in the 21st century give us an opportunity to think about how we interpret, how we read Scripture. It's just really, really good stuff. So I hope that you're reading along and getting as much from it as I am. So this morning, I turn our attention to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at just uh, the first five verses. I'm going to read them. Then I'm going to back up. Then I'm going to get back to the passage. But you have to understand uh, the framework. When you, when you read this, it just sounds like do this, do this, don't do that, you know. But there's so much more to it. What we're reading is, is the response. It's a response to what God has done. God has done this, so in response, we, we respond in this way. So, um, beginning now, chapter 2. A little commentary in the middle of it. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind social media. I call, I call um, Facebook hate book. Social media, anti-social media. I think if Peter were writing today, he would probably uh, include um, the unkind things that people say to one another rather than just voicing their opinions about things. We use derogatory language that creates more hurt and pain than helpful. I always say if you want to change the world, do something. Don't just write about it on, a, on Facebook. Anyway, that's another sermon. So it goes on and says then, like newborn babies, since you have been born again and you're starting this new life over, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. I highlighted that part because to me this is the heart of what he's talking about in Peter. Peter wants us to experience all the benefits of what God has in mind for us. Salvation is not just a one-time event, but it's a process that goes on and on for our lifetime. God invests in us every moment of our life and then is growing us into the likeness of Jesus. And all that he's writing about is so he can help us experience this fully. So he said in response to all this, then cry out for this nourishment. Cry out for what it is that God wants to give you. Now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness, want more and more of it. You are coming to Christ, he says. 
who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. God is building a church in the world, and Jesus the Christ, crucified and raised from the dead, is the cornerstone of the thing that God is doing, the very center of the church. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. This church is built on the cornerstone of Jesus and his teachings. He is the center of our heart and our life. And you, you, you are the church. You are the living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. The church is not this building. It's not these pews. It's not our programs. It's the living people sitting here in this room. You are the stones that God is cobbling together, building into a spiritual temple with Jesus at the center of it. And he says, what's more, you are his holy priests. Instead of putting his spirit and presence in one priest who delivers sacrifices for the people, we all become his priests. We all become means of grace in the world. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. And what that means then is, as Christ is our high priest who offered himself for us in mercy, we too then become priests by offering our lives in servanthood and sacrifice for others in mercy and kindness. This is the reading of the word of God and God's people did say. Hey, you know what? Last four weeks have been an interesting beginning to the new year for our church. Um, I can't ever recall this ever happening, and maybe it has, or maybe I just have a shorter term memory, I don't know. But in the last four weeks, uh, our staff has conducted 10 funeral services. And some of them, they're all sad and difficult, but some of them have been tragic and unexpected. I've done six, the rest of the staff have done four, and we have walked with some families through some really difficult and some really painful circumstances. And in those moments, by the way, I've just had the opportunity to see the church really shine in the way that it cares for people. All the meals, all the, this, this, you're tremendous in the way that you show love and care for people in times of loss and suffering. Uh, also in the past two or three weeks, We've had some individuals in our church who went to the doctor and received some news that was unexpected, uh, some diagnosis of cancer and some other difficult things. Meanwhile, I found myself in several conversations with people over the last two or three weeks who were just trying, struggling to make sense of their life, facing some tough choices in their life and things that are going on. It feels like uh, the last month we've had just this incredibly, unusually high you know, pastoral load. And so yesterday morning at 11, I was at the cemetery, and their family is here today, Vanessa and Brian Smith and Tom. Tom lost his wife, Nancy, this week, unexpectedly, 76 years old. And we had a beautiful service for a beautiful woman. And I'm standing, I'm standing at the graveside. I've already conducted the service, and I'm standing there, and to my right is Sheridan Smith, Nancy's grandson. And to my left is Cullen Smith, her other grandson. And her other grandchildren are over here too. And I remember watching Sheridan grow up when I came here 
you know, Sheridan was about, you know, five or six, and Cullen, well, maybe he was not even here yet. I'm not sure. But I'm standing there next to him, and I'm feeling just the loss and the grief of all this, but then suddenly all this, all, I had this incredible feeling. It just kind of straightened me up a little bit. And I realized to myself, David and Marie, what a gift God has given you. I don't mean the words that I say. But it's just the sheer gift of being a pastor and standing with people in a very sacred and holy moment. Don't realize how special this is that you get to be a part. these families' lives. And I remembered, I remembered earlier, I remembered, I thought about it later that day. That 30 years ago when, when I went to my church and they ordained me as a minister in the church, they gave me a gift and it was a gift to preach the gospel. And I need to remind myself of that from time to time. And I went home later that day and I wrote this down and this was it. It was my goal for what I do here at the church and what we do is this is what I want more than anything for everybody. Is my goal is to preach and to share the good news of Jesus about Jesus to help you grow and experience the full joy of your faith. I want to say that again. If I could do anything with my life, it's to help people experience the full joy of their faith. And the reason for that is, is because following Jesus is a joyful, wonderful, beautiful, and amazing life. It doesn't rescue you from infirmity or from sadness or sorrow. But there is this joy that comes from knowing God and knowing that God lives inside of you. And so when I read 1 Peter, and Peter in the passage talks about the full experience of salvation, I can say that I'm in the process of experiencing it now. You know, over the course of my life, I have begun to experience this, this full, full beauty of having God invested in my life and working in my life. And I love seeing how that happens for other people. And I want you to know this morning, I don't know all of you, but I want you to know that God has big plans for you. God has big plans for you. And there is something unique that you were given, a gift that you were given to bring to the world that only you can deliver. You think, well, me, me, can I? No, everybody is precious in his sight. Regardless of how you feel about yourself, regardless of the family that you grew up in, regardless of the bad breaks you may have had or the good breaks you had, you have something special and beautiful and amazing to deliver the world and only you can deliver it. I think this morning of a, an older woman in our church by the name of Carol Davis. Carol has experienced a lot of adversity physically and within her family but you'd never know it. She's got a lot of miles on her old body. But she stands out here every Sunday in the foyer greeting people with a smile 
and with a kind heart. And for almost every one of these funerals, every one of these funerals that we've conducted over the last two months, she's been down there serving up fried chicken or lots of other things that will probably kill you too. <laughs> you know, desserts and, and brownies and all those kinds of things. And I look at her, and you know what the gift is that she brings to the world? She brings the gift of the virtue of fortitude. Fortitude is a great word, look it up, that means a courageous spirit, a courageous spirit that comes from a strength of character, that comes from inside of a person that gives them the strength to live their life with perseverance, persistence, and still be joy-filled in the process of all of it. That's what she brings to the world. And you see, the thing you're going to need to know is, is what I want you to understand is if you read through 1 Peter, there's something that's going to have to change before you can begin to change. And what has to happen is before you can actually begin to change your life, God's going to have to change your mind in the way that you think about your life. The key to all real change begins in the way that you think. The way that you think impacts the way that you feel. The way that you feel impacts the way you show up in the world. And so you look at your life, and you've got to begin to think about your life in terms of the way that God thinks about your life. God looks at you and sees all of you, but when he looks at you, he sees the good in you that maybe you can't see in yourself. And when you begin to think the way that God thinks about your life and what's possible for your life, with hope and optimism, it gives you an extra little strength in your step. It gives a little joy in your soul. It gives you the opportunity to begin to look at every moment of your life as an opportunity. Every moment of your life, even those moments in life when you feel like you're in a place you don't want to be. And you know why? Because God does not want you to just survive this world. God wants you to thrive in this world. God wants you to experience the whole thing in your life. And part of life is sorrow and heartache. And that's part of learning to thrive. And the truth is that your faith, your faith in God, may not change your circumstances. It may not pull you out of the pit. Your faith in God may not bring your loved one back. Your faith in God may not heal your past. But God will use your faith in God to change you, to use what's happened to you for your benefit as an opportunity to grow you the depth of your heart and your soul and your capacity to have mercy, kindness, love, and goodness for all people. It's a matter of how you think about it. It's like Paul said, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world and the way that you think about things. But instead, allow God to be at work in your life to transform your mind in the way that you think about things. So that you can offer your life up to the world as a spiritual sacrifice, as a means of God's grace. Oh, there's no greater joy than to be able to, to know that God's at work in your life and is able to use you as a means of grace I believe for every person in this room, from the oldest person sitting on the back row to these fine-looking young men sitting on the front row, that you have more in front of you than you have behind you. You have more in front of you than you have 
behind you. And let me tell you where my confidence comes from. My confidence does not come from how I feel. My confidence comes from what I know. There's a big difference between feeling and knowing. If I based how I felt about God and about the world on how I felt, I'd be an incredible wreck. My feelings are not dependable. My feelings are hormonal. The older I get, the less testosterone I have. I don't know. I'm thinking about going to that clinic and getting a shot. I don't know. But my feelings go up and down every day based on how someone looks at me or how someone treats me. So I don't base my confidence in who I am and what I'm called to do in the world on what I feel. I base it on what I know, and I know God. I couldn't have said that 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I had not been married. Fortitude. 30 years ago, 30 years ago, I didn't have kids. 30 years ago, I was just starting out. But after 30 years of experiencing all of life, I can tell you that God is good. I can tell you that you can know God. I can tell you that God is for you and not against you. I can tell you from 30 years of watching people that there is nothing in life that can ever separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. That's what Peter sets up the whole first chapter. He says, all praise, all glory to our Father in heaven who by his mercy has forgiven you and cleansed you. And giving you a new life. You know what that means? You can look at back at your life, not with regret, but you can look back at your life and learn from it and lean into what God wants for you. That's why he says that he, through Jesus Christ, has ransomed you from an empty life. And that's why he says in the first chapter, he says, when you've been born again, you've been born to a life that will not quickly end, but will go on forever. And what that means is when you die, the investment of goodness you've invested in the world will go on after you because it goes on in the lives of the people around you. It also means that when you die, it's not over. It's not done. It's just not a hole in the ground with dirt in the ground. It's a life that lives on beyond this life. There's eternal life. Those of you who've lost mothers and fathers will experience them in the life after this life because they've gone on to be with Jesus. Eternal life, eternal God, the living word of God. That's what he says. And then he says it. Isn't that good? That's preaching. That's preaching. He again goes on and he says, so, so, therefore, pay attention when you read that in the Bible. It means this is our response. Therefore, he says, because of all that God has done, you need to remove all the things from your life that are keeping him from flowing through you. You need to empty yourself out of the things that represent the old life. You need to get rid of malice. You need to get rid of hypocrisy and deceit and jealousy and all unkind speech. You see, God wants to work in your life and God wants to fill you up. And if your life is filled up with hatred and malice and mean-spiritedness and unkind things, there's less room for his joy in there. There's less room for his peace in there. That's how the ego, the ego wants to hold on to all those things because, you know, I'm right. 
But as you let go of all those things and as you empty yourself out, God begins to pour his presence and his spirit into you with all his power and begins to shape you in the man or woman that he wants you to become. And this is why I say this. You read on. You read on in the next part of the chapter. He talks about some stuff that's rather controversial. He talks in there about respecting the king. And that's why I find social media to be so distressing. Because regardless, regardless of how you feel about another person in the world, regardless of how you feel about a political leader, and this is not meant to be a commentary on the election or a commentary on yesterday's uh, protest or any of those kinds of things. That's all a part of who we are as a people. But what it really says in here is as Christian people, when we speak about others, when we write things about others, we should be respectful. We should be like Jesus, who did not use unkind speech. And I just, I get really distressed and brokenhearted. That's why I don't do anti-social media. Because it's hate-filled. We have to learn to be respectful. We can disagree, but disagree respectfully. God's love can't flow through us if the words coming out of our mouth are filled with hatred, are filled with malice, unkind speech hypocrisy and deceit God says if he's going to be visible in your life it needs to be visible in the way that you behave and treat other people especially people that you disagree with doesn't mean you can't stand up for what is right but if you stand up for what is right stand up for what is right without malice or hatefulness or deceit that's what he says right here so he's then cry out crave pure spiritual milk Grow into who you're called to be. Cry out for it. You see, because the word of God that will bless you is not the word that you hear, but it's the word that you act on. It's what you apply. That's the point of this passage. Don't just hear his words of blessing. Act on his words of blessing. Crave it, want it, allow it to grow in you. So that's when he goes on and then says, he says, don't you understand who you are? You are coming to Christ. He's cleansed your past. He's forgiven you. You are now coming to him. He is the center of the work that God is doing in the world. Now let him be the one who builds you. It's kind of like this. Clear off the foundation, the old life, sweep it away, prepare the ground, and allow him to begin to build on top of your new foundation. Let him be the one that builds your life. Because you are his temple. Sacrifice your pride. Sacrifice the things that you're holding on to. And live your life as a means of grace for other people. Because this is the reason. The love of God and the blessing of God is not meant to just flow to us. To you. The point of the blessing of God isn't that it will just flow to you, but that it will flow through you. He goes on at the end of the chapter, and he says this. He's talking about Jesus. 
He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. His love cannot flow through us if it is blocked by evil behavior, hypocrisy, deceit, malice, jealousy, unkind speech. Our response to him is to change our lives and to open up our hearts and lives so that he begin to do his work in us so that he can flow through us. So we have to work with him and offer those things to him so he can remove them so he can live in us, so we die, to the old, we die to the old life, born to the new life, so we can live for what is right. By his wounds you were healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, he came looking for us. If you ever think that your prayers for another person can't be answered, Look at the way that he's looked into you and brought you love and came looking for you. No human being on this earth is beyond redemption. No human being on this earth is beyond the reach and the love of God. Because God loves the lost, the forgotten, the forsaken, the broken. And if you ever have any doubt about God's capacity to forgive, look at all that he's forgiven inside of you. But now you, you have turned to your shepherd who is the guardian of your souls.